you're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org. Well, uh, good morning again, everyone. This is, um, uh, uh, can we, ah, yeah. This is, of course, um, the last in our series of We Preach Christ Crucified, which comes out of Paul's first uh, words to his friends in the city of Corinth when he writes to them. Now, here's the thing. You've got to get used to this. Paul is not a Christian. He never was a Christian. He never became a Christian. Paul was a Jew. He was always a Jew. He was a faithful Jew. And unless we understand that, we can never understand what he was talking about at all. As Daniel was reading, I was thinking to myself, unless you've listened to the podcast or been here for each in this series on We Preach Christ Crucified, that passage not only is gobbledygook to you, but actually very, 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 very misleading to you. And here's this uh, little piece taken from that passage. Um, We preach Christ crucified, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That is one of the most misleading statements in Christianity, unless you know that Paul wasn't a Christian when he said it. I'd like to explain a little bit about that as I go on. Salvation is, in essence, the overriding theme of the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from the story of creation and Adam and Eve, that great uh, parable of who we are that takes place and the talking snake and the tree with the pomegranates on it, on it, on it, or whatever they were, all the way through uh, the life of Jesus, the Gospels, all the way through to Revelation, the theme of the Bible is salvation. But we have got a problem. When I was a kid, I used to go to a Baptist church, which is how I came to be a Baptist minister in the end, and my, uh, the little church I went to was at the south end of the Palace football ground on the Homestow Road end, where the supporters of Palace sit faithfully as they see their teams soar up the premiership. That's, that's, um, that's where I used to go to a youth club. I used to live at the other end of the Palace ground, which is called the White Horse Lane end. And in uh, 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 Homestow Road, aside from the football ground, there's a little Baptist church. And, and some of you will know the story about how I started going there because, um, well, there was a girl that I fancied uh, called Mary and she didn't fancy me. But then Cornelia went there as well and she did like me. So, whee, there you go. <laughs> so that's very good. But having become a Christian, what used to happen to me is every Sunday night, I used to go along to what they called the youth squash. I think that was the cool and trendy term in those days. And basically, it meant not that you got squash, although I think you did get squash. It was that you were squashed into somebody's house after the evening service. And uh, you always had a little Bible study, uh, a youth talk. And so I'd sit there with my friends at the age of 14 and 15 and 16, and week by week, in various ways, people would come and talk to us. 
all sorts of themes they'd talk about, um, all sorts of issues they'd explore. But wherever they started, they would always end in exactly the same way. And you're probably wondering why I'm showing you a picture of a 159 bus going across... um, which bridge is it? It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's Waterloo Bridge, isn't it? It must be Waterloo Bridge. Uh, is it? I don't know. That's got you confused now, hasn't it? Going across, which bridge do you think? Westminster Bridge. Yeah. Ah, so it's heading towards the Houses of Parliament instead of towards us. Anyway, so you're probably wondering why I'm showing you this. Uh, but it's pertinent to my story as a teenager. Now, they didn't always end in exactly this way with this kind of illustration. But there was always a familiar illustration, and this one came up more than once, I mean many times, and all the others were basically headed in the same direction. So there we be, all crammed into someone's house. Our youth leader was called Brian, and he'd get in um, a speaker to speak to us, and they talked <coughs> to us on all sorts of things, sometimes something from the Bible, but all sorts of Things I remember us having a talk on stamp collecting once. I mean, it wasn't the most happening youth group ever to hit the planet, it has to be said. Um, we weren't so much exploring justice issues as, um, you know, whether we'd ever be able to find a penny black. But you'd suddenly get, the, the, the youth squash always used to finish at quarter past nine. And so I'd worked out that by nine o'clock, there'd be a change of direction. There you would be, lulled into a kind of relaxed state, um, thinking about whatever the speaker was talking about, and then suddenly they'd switch. Because I always knew where their talks were going. And so you'd be listening to something that very mellow, and then the speaker would say, and, and you knew that the and was the linking word. And, do you young people realize this? Unless you give your life to Jesus Christ tonight and say the prayer, the sinner's prayer, the prayer of salvation, unless you have said that prayer, your eternal destiny is in doubt. Has anybody ever been to a talk like that? Yeah, hello to you. Yeah. Well, I did one every week. And then this is what they'd say. This would come up time and time again. They'd say, and if you've not prayed the prayer and you do not know where you're going and you do not know that you are saved tonight on your way home, you could be run over by a double-decker bus. <laughs> and I remember this guy saying, and where would you be then? And I I used to think I'd probably be spinning around on the back wheels, you know, kind of like. I but the bigger problem to me was that I didn't live on a bus route. <laughs> and I used to walk home through the side streets of, South, uh, well, you know, up the side of Palace Football Ground. I didn't live on a bus route. And, and I used to think, who is this phantom bus driver who on Sunday night is lurking in the back streets of South London when I knew that for love nor money you couldn't get a bus when you wanted it on Monday morning to go to school. Who is this bus driver lurking in the back streets of South London who 
It's got some kind of x-ray specs that spot people who've prayed the sinner's prayer and people who haven't. And when he discovers someone who's not prayed the prayer of salvation, he puts his foot on the accelerator and homes in on them to squash them. The very thought that saying the sinner's prayer might increase my, decrease my chances of being run over by a rogue bus seemed beyond all common sense to me. But you get the point. Salvation had become an insurance policy for life beyond death. And if you think that's a very old message and very out of date, I was listening to Radio 4 this morning with Cornelia. You probably think uh, we're mad to do that. It's just that Radio 4 comes on through the week and so it comes on automatically on Sunday as well. And the morning um, service was on and someone was preaching exactly without the bus illustration, the same message. So I want you to hold two things in tension. The thing I said first, the whole message of the whole Bible, the overriding theme of everything from Genesis to Revelation is salvation. But we've got ourselves awfully muddled about what salvation is. Here's a true saying. An assumption is a conclusion reached without its owner even knowing they've reached it. An assumption is a conclusion reached without its owner even knowing they've reached it. And we, in the West, in this church, in our society, make huge assumptions about what salvation is. And those assumptions lead us astray and also cripple us on the inside with guilt and shame and fear that we might not make the cut. That perhaps our faith isn't enough faith. I mean, when does faith get so polluted with doubt that the doubt overweighs the faith? How much faith do you need to have prayed the sinner's prayer and it have worked? Do you need 100% of faith? Well, we all doubt a bit. So you can get away with 90% faith or 80% faith or 70% faith or 35% faith. When does God say, I'm ever so sorry, but you just don't make the grade? And that is why so many people who claim that they've been rescued by God live their whole lives with this impending silent fear inside. I don't pray enough. I'm not holy enough. I don't think the right thoughts. I think all the wrong thoughts. And that's why if you ever put a group of Christians together in a circle and ask them about what they're really feeling, you can guarantee that everyone lies. Because no one feels they can afford to tell the truth. We're in a position where we've got very out of focus, very muddled, very blurred about what salvation is. Let me tell you three quick stories. I was on a train on Friday, Friday um, early uh, at lunchtime. I was here in London in the morning. I had to get a train from Paddington um, early afternoon to go down to Swindon. I was meeting the, um, the bosses of... Um, 
a big bank because Oasis would like to start banks in all our hubs because I think that financial literacy is really important to everyone and I think every young person should be helped into good banking, effective banking. I think there are probably two great things you learn at school beyond everything else. One is how to have a conversation with another person, how to talk, how to converse, how to handle people, how to be with people. I think that's pretty fundamental to life and you can learn all the maths and history and English you like, but if you can't sit at a table and listen to someone and see them and engage with them and form a relationship with them, you're lost in life. And the other thing I think is important is how to handle money so that you don't end up in debt in life, so you don't, you become, you don't become a slave of your money or you don't become a slave in debt so I think these are two important things. So off I went to uh, talk to the bosses of a bank about how we might uh, uh, white label a bank, that's a bit technical, but white label a bank and have Oasis Bank everywhere, but it'd be another bank. The trouble is that I had to meet them in Swindon and um, the train stopped at Didcot Parkway and then there was an announcement and it said that there's been a hold-up on the line. And then we sat there for a bit. And then it said, unfortunately, somebody has... They didn't say quite this. They said, a passenger has been run over by a train. So we'll be here at least an hour. And then they said, this has blocked the line in both directions. So we'll be here, we don't know how long. I actually had to get out of the train. Fortunately, ours had stopped in a station and get in a taxi. And get, uh, I completed the journey by taxi. Someone had thrown themselves under a train. It happens often. My nephew is a fireman. And he tells me it's the fire service that are always called. Somebody ended their life instantly in front of an express train, intercity train, running at well over 100 miles an hour. One story. Second story. I'm sitting talking later that day, having got the taxi finally to Swindon. I'm sitting talking to the bosses of this bank. And we talk about, you know, the number of uh, kids and families and uh, nationwide stuff that we can do. And... Uh, it's all conversations all going really well. But I knew, this, I knew what was coming. It always comes. It always comes. I'm in these conversations often, you know, with, with uh, government, etc., etc. So we, I sit there. And I know I have to raise the conversation, but I know it's better if they raise it. And they did. We talked about this kind of deal that uh, we could uh, do together. And then they said, but the thing is, you're religious. We can't work with religious people. Our bank can't work with anyone religious. I know it's coming, always. I've got a way of getting out of it. I say, I'm not very religious, actually. 
I say, and <laughs> if, if you're worried about all the things that you think I'm against and all the people that I want to discriminate against and all the people I want to exclude and all the people I want to prejudge and all the people I want to proselytize, I say, just Google me right now and you'll find out <laughs> that all the people you think I am hate me. Every single one of them hates me. <laughs> it always works brilliantly. Thank God for all those people who are against us. It's wonderful. It's, it's, honestly, it's the, you should use it yourself. It's a fantastic way of getting out of that tight problem. That's my second story. The third story is I then get back on the train to London, but then I had to go to Manchester on Friday night because I was speaking at something. Matthew's here, uh, 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 who was in Manchester with me. So I had to get back into London, uh, and then I had to get uh, across to Euston, get on a train to Manchester uh, for yesterday morning. So I'm sat on this train, and I think, I'm going to prepare this talk for this morning. You probably think, ah, oh, now I know why he's telling these stories because he hasn't actually prepared a talk. So that's it. <laughs> So I sit at a table. Uh, Judith, my PA, managed to book me a little table. You know, because you booked the seat with the table, so I could plug my laptop in and start working my talk. There's this guy who sits opposite me. As we're pulling out of Euston Station, uh, as soon as the train starts moving, he was fidgeting around a bit. He was in his fifties, and as soon as the uh, train starts moving, he's obviously a businessman. He said, uh, "Would you mind looking after all my stuff whilst I go to the loo?" Now I knew why he was fidgeting. So I said, yeah, I'll look after your stuff. That's fine. Then he comes back and he sits down and he says, thanks. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Manchester. He said, so am I going to Manchester? I live there. I said, oh, do you live in Manchester? What are you in London for? He said, well, actually, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in cyber uh, safety. That's what he called it. Cyber safety and, and uh, data management. He said, I don't suppose you know much about cyber safety and data management. I said, well, not a lot. But actually, um, we run quite a lot of schools. And so I know, know a fair bit about cyber safety and data management because safeguarding is right at the heart of everything that you do in school. So then he gets in. I shouldn't have said that, really. Because then he gets, we get into this conversation that lasted all the way to Manchester. <laughs> and... Uh, we go along and we're getting on fine and he asks me about the schools and what we're doing and I tell him about the schools we got. There's 52 schools, 30,000 kids, about 7,000 teaching staff. We've got housing as well. We house about 1,000 vulnerable young adults a year. We're doing loads of community work, etc., etc. I explain to him that I'm half Indian. I explain that we work in India, that I'm going to India in two weekends' time for a board meeting of Oasis. Uh, out there, all that. He thinks this is great. He says, Oh, you're fantastic. It's really great. Oh, I'd love to know more about Oasis. Do you know? I'd love to know more about Oasis. So I know that the conversation's coming because it's always coming. So he says, So what motivates you to do all this wonderful stuff? He thought it was wonderful. He was, you know, he's getting ready to give money to us. What, 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 what motivates you to do it? And then he said, you're not religious, are you? <laughs> and then I had to tell him that actually I was a Baptist minister and sinks to the floor like this. And, you know, I think he's almost going to get up and swap seats, you know, because he's been conned into this thing. And we go on. So I realized there's a redemption here coming. So, uh, he's, uh, so we're talking. Uh, so I said, so, um, uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, I, somehow I managed to get the conversation round to where we were headed to in Manchester again. 
you see. And uh, so I said, well, I'm speaking at a conference there tomorrow. That's why I'm going up tonight. And he said, what's that about? So I said, oh, it's, it's called In the Name of Love, and it's about the inclusion of LGBT people. And he went... <laughs> and he said, you're religious, and you're speaking at a conference about the inclusion of gay people. I said, I'm running. He said, that's incredible. That's incredible. Why do I tell you those three stories? It will become, or four stories or whatever, they'll all become obvious in a moment. This is a Greek word. There it is in Greek. There it is transliterated into English. Soteria. Soteria is the Greek word for salvation. Every time you see the word salvation in the New Testament, it's actually soteria or one of the words derived from it. And it means physical health. In classical Greek, it means physical health. In Greek mythology, soteria was the goddess of safety, deliverance and preservation from harm. So Paul, who's writing 1 Corinthians, knows that Soteria is a Greek goddess. And she's the goddess of safety, deliverance, and preservation from harm. The Bible, New Testament, talks about Hades. Hades, of course, was another Greek god. One of the siblings of Zeus. You know, the uh, Olympians. Soteria is a Greek goddess, the goddess of safety and deliverance and preservation from harm. And this word, salvation, comes from her name. And in classical Greek, by classical Greek, we mean everything that Homer wrote and everything that Aristotle wrote and everything, you know, etc., etc. Um, it means physical health. And there's another Greek word that Paul uses, and the whole New Testament uses, but we're looking at what Paul said in Corinthians chapter 1, and it's sozo. And sozo is the verb form of soteria, which means to rescue from danger and deliver into safety. Once more, with a huge emphasis on health, well-being, and wholeness. So why the reason, reason we talk about health and well-being uh, in Oasis here all the time is because we believe in salvation. The reason we talk about wraparound care is because we believe in salvation. The reason we run a, a food bank and a debt advice centre and a primary school and a secondary school and a this and a that and a, everything else we do and we're thinking about setting up a bank linked to first story. Why am I there in Swindon talking about banking? Because I believe in the Bible's view of salvation. It's not some, oh, he's supposed to be a minister and he's supposed to be getting people saved and now he's messing about with banking. What on earth is he doing? It's that because we believe in a biblical, holistic, joined up, integrated, whole life concept of salvation, we care about financial literacy because salvation is about here and now rescue from danger. And there's not much bigger a danger than falling into the hands of a loan shark. 
that's salvation. It is full square central to everything Paul ever speaks about. Real hope right here, right now. Somebody said to me the other month that um, uh, one of the, the problem, uh, one of the problems with my theology is it doesn't deal with hope very much. In the Bible, hope is not some ethereal thing that's going to happen to you after you've snuffed it, after you've been run over by the bus. It's about right here, right now, in your relationships, in your life, in your job, in your circumstances, in your unemployment. Which is why Ella, being on that bridge um, with Extinction Rebellion, saying there has to be different way is an utterly 100%, 1,000% biblical perspective. It's an extraordinary thing, I think, in our culture that we, Martin Luther King, we really honour that guy, don't we? A man with the courage to stand up. He marches across Selma Bridge. You know about the Selma Bridge incident, don't you? He marches across Selma Bridge. We think Martin Luther is wonderful. We think Nelson Mandela is extraordinary, etc., etc. How he spent those years on Robin Island in that quarry beating out stone. Years locked away from the whole of society. We think all that's wonderful. We celebrate all of these people. Emmeline Pankhurst. What an extraordinary person. And what she did for at least half of us in this room right now. We want to be bold. But then we want to be compliant. But we really want to protest as long as it's all okay with everyone. And as long as we've squared all the paperwork. And as long as everybody's on side. And as long as we're not breaking the law. And we've got to be really careful about this thing and that thing. And we've got to have it all in place. And if we can have it all in place in the end. And everyone's okay about it. We'd really like to stand up and say, I protest. How we have lost an understanding of what this word is about. Paul, who believes in this kind of salvation, spends his life traveling, being imprisoned, risking death, being shipwrecked, going without food, going without water, being hated. I've got a friend who uh, lectures on Paul a lot. He's a bishop. And he says this. He says, everywhere I go to lecture on Paul, he goes to churches and theological colleges, Afterwards, we have a tea with cake and a discussion. Everywhere Paul went to speak, afterwards, they had a riot. (laughs) We become tame. We believe in concepts. But this is about real freedom. Now, Paul was a Jew, as I said earlier. And so his idea of salvation came from the Old Testament. This is a depiction, an ancient depiction, an Egyptian depiction of the way that the Egyptians were with the Jewish slaves. For 400 years, the people of Israel were slaves, actual literal slaves in Egypt. And then they were set free. 
Here is something you need to take on board. If you read the entire Old Testament from beginning to end, the word salvation uh, is used endlessly. There are several Hebrew words for salvation. And of course, soteria, when the the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. It was called the Septuagint, for those of you who are kind of geeky and care about things like that. But when it was translated into Greek, soteria and sozo were the Greek words that were used for the Hebrew words. In the Old Testament, salvation is utterly holy material now and on earth. It's about real rescue from real danger. The Exodus being the greatest story of God's salvation. His rescue of his people from absolute slavery. And that theme is used to play out time after time after time after time again. Real salvation from real danger. That's why I say we've gone woolly on this idea of salvation. Because we've turned salvation into pie in the sky after you die for some who have enough faith rather than real rescue in this life I'll talk about beyond in a minute of course even though we've gone messed up we really know that the word save doesn't only apply to uh, stuff that happens after death here is a great save in the Premier League we talk all the time about Um, a goal uh, a a free kick being saved we talk about great goalkeeping he saved the ball we talk about the word save in the context of rescuing what would have been a goal all the time we talk about the word saved all the time in terms of savings we all like to save but somehow once people who are Christians walk anywhere near a church They lose their marbles and their common sense and think that saved simply means what happens to you beyond death. Robbing this holistic word of most, if not all, of its power. But if we think about it, we should know that it's more than this. In Acts, in the book of Acts, just very briefly before uh, before I finish, in the book of Acts, Paul Uh, There's a passage, a story actually, where Paul uh, meets meets someone uh, who um, is is, um, lame. And Acts tells us, Paul looked at him directly and saw that he uh, needed to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And the word used for healed is sozo. So even our Bible translators, sometimes they take the word saved and they translate it as healed. But here's another one. Towards the end of his life, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is on his way to uh, Rome. and He's on his way to Rome under guard and he's on, on this ship with Luke who wrote Acts. And Luke's talking about their story together. And Luke explains, you can read this in the last chapters of Acts, 
we took, they were, they were off Cyprus in the Mediterranean and they were taking this huge, it was a huge storm, massive storm, and they all thought they were going to lose their lives on this ship. They thought it was going to be sink. Paul had already been shipwrecked three times in his life. This is the fourth time. And Luke explains, we took such a violent battering from the storm that neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging. Then Luke says, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And it's translated that way, isn't it? It's so-so again. We gave up all hope of being saved. And you hear that, and you go, all hope of rescue. We gave up all hope of being rescued. Here's another example. And Paul writes to the Roman church, and he says in Romans... I'm not ashamed for the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation, soteria, to everyone who believes. And then, lastly, well, he uses this word endlessly, actually. A little bit later in Romans, he writes this. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is at hand. Paul uses the word saved and salvation to apply to all sorts of harm that can happen to you in life. Throughout the Old Testament, the word saved is utterly wholly about physical and uh, physical healing and help and rescue here and now. But Paul introduces this new theme. It's still about here and now, real rescue, real hope. Lives turned round, lives changed, lives shaped differently, lives remolded. But he adds something else. The, the other week, I went with my family. We, um, we uh, had a week off and I went to France. And one day I was walking uh, home uh, to this place where we were staying. We were up in some mountains. And I went up to see the farm, which was up in the mount, uh, mountains, uh, with one of my little grandsons, Leo. And we were walking home, and it was the evening. It was dusk. And um, it was getting darker quicker than I expected, actually. But we were on this little road, this little track, and I could see these lights. I couldn't see much else, but I could see these lights. And there was a little cluster of houses where we were staying, and so I knew these little lights, tiny little lights I could see, must be where we were staying. So guided by the path and guided by the lights, we made it back. Now, I didn't know, I couldn't see what the buildings looked like and I couldn't see the setting, but the little light guided me, a signpost. What Paul introduces as brand new is this. He says to all these Jews, you know that salvation is about real rescue right here in your life in many different ways. But I'm introducing something new because through Jesus, beyond death, there is hope. I've only got some little glimmers of it. I don't know what the furniture looks like. I don't know what it's all going to be. Everybody wants to know what's heaven going to look like and what's life after death like. And Paul's saying, I don't know. He actually says, we just see rather dimly in a mirror. But I have this hope. I can see these lights. I've got a few signposts. Paul writes in this same letter, in this, uh, these same chapters we're just taking this, uh, these words from, he says, death has lost its sting. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? This hope, this real salvation right now is even extended beyond this life. And though I can't tell you how it all works and what it looks like and I can't answer the detailed questions, I have 
hope in this life and I've got hope for beyond it. So what does understanding salvation mean for you and me? It means simply this. It means, well, sometimes I sit with people in life. It's my job to. Recently, I went into a prison. I went into uh, a woman's uh, prison just near Heathrow. And uh, I talked to, um, I talked a lot, I talked to a woman that I hope we're going to give a job to. And uh, she is inside for, um, she's, she's serving a long sentence because of embezzlement. And so I, she, she's a very skilled um, accountant, but she embezzled a lot of money because she's a skilled accountant. And she's been in that prison for a decade and a half. And I hope that when she leaves, we'll be able to help her and perhaps give her some employment as well. Because I think she's changed. The point is this. Why am I telling that story? She made some mistakes. Because she was living her life molded and shaped by a character different to the character of Christ. When Paul says this this is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of God he means simply this this great rescue isn't just about what happens to you after you die it's here and now as your life is conformed to the values of Jesus as you're molded and remolded by him and his way of doing things there are all sorts of things that won't go wrong in your life that otherwise would have I know this, that because I've been following Jesus in a very broken way, I might add, through my life, there are all sorts of things that haven't gone wrong for me that would have otherwise. There are all sorts of moral dilemmas that I haven't had to face because I was never in that position in the first place. The more we're conformed to Jesus, the more we are being rescued here, says Paul, the more that we are being saved by choosing the pathway of Jesus through life than some other power game, the more we're going to stay clear. There is hope for everyone beyond this life. There is. Love never fails, says Paul. There's, it's there for everyone, not some. Love never fails. Beyond death, I can't tell you the details, says Paul, but I know that love never fails and God is love, so there's hope for absolutely everyone. But don't leave it to then. Allow, allow your life to be conformed to the right way, the best way of living now. There are all sorts of people who face all sorts of moral dilemmas in their life that if they'd have chosen a different ethic to live by, would have never been in that place first. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm a broken down, muddled up person. I've made all sorts of mistakes just like you. But the more we conform to live in the way of Jesus, the more we understand rescue here. That's what it's about. That is salvation. That's what we're in for. But as we're conformed to the lifestyle of Jesus and we enjoy the privileges that come and the, the fruit that comes of that, as we're conformed to that way of living, we also are given responsibility because being slowly rescued ourselves simply leaves us in a place where we are agents of change and rescue for others, which brings us right back 
to our care for the planet and our care for the environment our in, and our inclusion of people who are different to us. And all of these social issues we must get involved in because that is salvation. Let's pray. Some words, some words from a song that Paul led us in earlier. And we will build our lives upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And we will put our trust in you alone. And we will not be shaken. We thank you for this salvation that's begun now in the lives of those of us who are following the way of Jesus. Forgive us for our brokenness, our stubbornness, our woodenness. Forgive us for the times when we turn our back on this way and choose other, uh, more convenient ways to live and respond and react. But we commit ourselves again to you this morning to walk this way, to allow our lives and characters to be shaped by you, to bring your rescue, your freedom, your hope into every real situation. We think of the family of that person who lost the life in front of that train and we realize again the agony for all of those people. Anchor us on your rock and give us a message that's real and tangible that brings hope to those in financial trouble, to brings, that brings hope to those without food, that brings hope to those who've written off religion as just uh, about judgment and rejection. Give us a message that brings real hope of real salvation starting right here now to all. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org.